John chapter 19, verses 16 to 30. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross, Jesus stood. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. Jesus, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there, and the disciple whom he loved standing by nearby, he said to her, "Woman." Here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of a hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Good morning. This morning passage tells us the story of our Lord's crucifixion. The beginning scene in this section is that of our Lord carrying his cross up the hill to Gokota, and the closing scene of him bowing his head and giving up his spirit. At first glance, this morning passage seemed to be just a factual account of the crucifixion. And yet within this event, there is a remarkable fulfillment of what the Old Testament had prophesied concerning the Messiah. We see the perfect plan and purpose of God being fulfilled. As Jesus himself told his disciples, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Luke chapter 18, verse 31. We see how much this was so in this morning passage. Verse 17 says that Jesus carried his own cross. 
probably not the whole cross as we so often see depicted today, but just a cross beam. The upright portion of the cross was already in the ground and waiting for him at the place of execution. Gogota was just outside the gates of the city of Jerusalem. When they reached Gogota, the soldiers stripped Jesus naked and made him lie down with his arms resting on the crossbeam. Where they proceeded to kneel him to it, the crossbeam was then hoisted up and fastened to the upright. Notice how sparse an account that is given to us of the crucifixion itself. We aren't given the gruesome story details, and that may be because we are not meant to dwell too much on them. It is enough for us to know that he was crucified. None of the gospel writers try to arouse our pity or play on our emotions in their description of Jesus' crucifixion. It is not pity or sentiment that they are seeking to invoke. It is faith. And faith in Christ comes through a revelation of a deeper meaning, his death than mere human sentimentality. Crucifixion was the worst form of torture and death one could receive from the Roman authority. The cross was a symbol of shame and humiliation. It was a cursed sign. And yet Jesus willingly accepted the cross. He willingly chose to die a condemned criminal's death. We see in verse 17, the imagery of Jesus as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. He was not reluctant, nor was he compelled. Jesus voluntarily laid down his life with no resistance to his oppressors. This is what Isaiah the prophet foretold. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Isaiah 53, verses 6 and 8. According to the law of Moses, the sin offerings were to be taken outside the camp of Israel. Jesus is presented as our sin offering as he goes outside the city gates to his execution to offer his life for the sins of the people. Hebrews chapter 13 verses 11 to 12 makes a connection to Jesus when it identifies him as a sin offering, who therefore had to suffer outside the city gate. It was common practice to praise the reason 
for the execution over the head of the one being crucified. This was designed to warn others of the consequences to pay for, for breaking the law. In fact, part of the idea behind the Romans using crucifixions as capital punishment was to send a message to the general population of what would happen to them if they resisted Roman authority. The inscription on the cross of Jesus was written in three languages so that all people would be able to read the crime that brought about his punishment. Whether Pilate intended it or not, the Jews are definitely offended. Therefore, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, the king of the Jews, but this man said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Verses 21 and 22. This cynical Roman governor may have meant for it to be an insult to the Jews. But clearly, the providence of God meant for it to be a declaration of truth to all mankind. This reminds us of Caiaphas' early prophecy. You do not understand that. It is better for you to have one man die for the people than to have the whole nation destroyed. John chapter 11, verse 50. Caiaphas has no clue what he was even saying. John continues to say in verses 51 and 52, He did not say this on his own, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was about to die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but to gather into one the dispersed children of God. Pilate writes here that Jesus is the king of the Jews. And he was absolutely right. Jesus himself committed no sin, but he bore the sins of many. Jesus didn't die because he claimed to be king of the Jews. He died because he is the king of the Jews. Jesus truly was a crucified king of the Jews. John goes on to tell us in verses 23 and 24, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one for each soldier. They also took his tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see who will get it. It was typical for the soldiers as part of their pay to take possession of the garments of the criminals they crucified. The soldiers may have thought they were casting lots because they wanted to govern. But 
they were actually fulfilling the scripture. So John goes on to tell us this was to fulfill what the scripture says. They divided my clothes among themselves. And for my clothing, they cast lots. As we read John, we must note that John is not just saying he fulfilled a couple of prophecies. Why are these prophecies chosen? What is the symbolism behind these fulfillments? First, we must see that above and beyond the soldiers' decision to roll the dice for Jesus' tuning was divine providence guiding the whole event. All of this was detailed confirmation that Jesus was the promised Messiah. John is pointing this out to provide factual basis for our faith. Second, Psalm 22 has so many prophecies that relate to the events concerning the death of Jesus. But from all the quotations from Psalms 22 that could have been used, John, by means of the Holy Spirit, chose the prophecy that his clothing was divided among the soldiers by casting lots, that his tunic was not torn according to the law of Moses. The high priest's robe was seamless. Consider in the scriptures that torn robes represented division in God's kingdom. What John wants to tell us is the death of Jesus was a uniting of God's kingdom. The restoration of God's kingdom in Christ acting as our high priest for our sins. Let's move on to the next section. Verses 25 to 27. Here we see even in the horrors of the cross, there was manifestation of tenderness and love. Verses 26 and 27 says, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing beside her, he said to his mother, Woman, here is your son. Then he said to the disciple, Here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. I don't know about you, but when I am in pain, I want other people to notice. I want other people to console me. I want to be the center of attention. Look at how Jesus reacted to his situation. Instead of focusing on himself, Jesus focused on making sure that his mother would be provided for. Joseph, Mary's husband, and Jesus' earthly father was probably dead by this time. It was Jesus' responsibility as the older son to take care of his mother and to meet her needs. 
Jesus knew that he was not going to be around to do this. He saw his mother weeping there at the foot of the cross, and he saw John, the disciple whom he loved, standing with her in the middle of all the agony that he was suffering. He had compassion on his mother for the agony that she was feeling and took the opportunity to communicate to John that Mary was to now reside in his home and was to be his responsibility. Do you see the utter unselfishness of Jesus as he addresses her needs from the cross? There is Jesus enduring pain and sorrow beyond our comprehension, and still he takes care of those around him. He speaks salvation and comfort to one of the thieves next to him. He provides for the care of his mother through his friend and disciple, John. Have you ever wondered why Jesus doesn't refer to Mary as mother, but as woman at the cross? The reason is Jesus wants Mary no longer think of him as being her son. The more she thinks of him as her son, the more she will suffer when he suffers. Mary must begin to look upon Jesus as her Lord. Even then, she will suffer, but this suffering will be a different nature. She will then know that however terrible his agony is, it is great, glorious because of its purpose. She will then begin to concentrate on its redemptive meaning. Second, Jesus was founding the family of God. Mary and John were amongst the first ones in it. You see, a new relationship was made possible when Jesus died. It is stronger and more lasting than any earthly relationships we know here. From that moment on, Mary was no longer the mother of Jesus. She became his sister. John was no longer his disciple. He became a brother of Jesus and a joint heir to the kingdom of God. Both of these, along with millions of others, would be in the new family of God. Next, let's look at verse 28. First, Verse 28 begins by saying, all was now finished. Once again, the Gospel of John relentlessly presses home the glory of Jesus' omniscience. Nothing is taking Jesus by surprise. He is not being forced through this torrent of circumstances. He knows precisely what the Father's will is and embraces it willingly. Seeing the beginning of the Passion in chapter 13, this is the fourth time John has emphasized that Jesus has full knowledge of 
what is happening and purposefully goes to the cross. Verse 28 goes on to say, he said, in order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. Of all that Jesus has done and endured to fulfill the scriptures and accomplish the Father's will, this request for a drink signals the final stroke. This statement shows Jesus' divine sovereignty. He knows precisely the right moment to speak these words. They are a prophetic fulfillment of Psalms 22, verse 15, and 69, verse 21. Jesus had earlier refused the offering of wine mixed with God, which was offered as a seductive to dull the agony. But Jesus refused to let his mind be crowded in any way. He would drink the Father's cup of wrath against sin with a clear mind to experience his full furries. And for us, now, knowing that all things have already been accomplished, in order to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And with the slight moisture from the sponge, his dehydrated mouth was revived just enough to speak his final words. It is finished. Verse 29 records a detail that is not found in any of the other gospel accounts. Therefore, we must pay a close attention to this new detail. When the wine is brought to Jesus, the wine was put on a sponge and held to his mouth by a hyssop branch. It is a hyssop. That is a new detail. Hyssop had passed over significance. Hesop was used to prepare for the Passover in Egypt, where it was dipped in blood, then used to spread the blood on the doorpost and lintel. Now we see the hesop with a sponge dipped in wine and given to the Passover lamb. The use of hesop became a symbol for cleansing of sins in the scriptures. The gospel reminds us repeatedly of the Passover imagery. A few verses earlier, we were reminded that this was a day of preparation, the day when the Passover lamb was slaughtered. Now, it continues to remind us of the Passover imagery. We are to see Jesus as the Lamb of God who is taking away our sins. We are to see him as the offering of our sins. John tells us, when Jesus had received the wine, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Verse 30. All things were now accomplished. And he who was in complete, Complete control of the situation all along 
lowered his head and died for our sins. This brings us to the three most powerful words that Jesus uttered while on the cross. It is finished. It is the cry of victory. The work is done. The will of the Father is accomplished. Sin is now atoned for by the blood of Jesus. Jesus has established himself as a high priest and intercessor. Satan has been defeated at the cross. God demonstrated his love for you at the cross. Faith entails us relying on the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We could not save ourselves. We could not be righteous. He has done it. Nothing else is necessary. We need no other sacrifice. We need no other saviors. Listen to how the writers of Hebrews describe this once for all work of Jesus. Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 12 and 14. We see here that Jesus is in command to the very end, even in his crucifixion. He offers up his spirit in death, proving to be the Passover lamb and fulfilling his own words in John chapter 10 verse 18. No one takes my life from me, but I laid it down of my own accord. In the end, the cross of Christ is not what man did to Jesus, but what Jesus did for man out of perfect obedience to his Father. Why did Jesus die? What was the real significance of his death? There is nothing more important for you and me to understand than the answers to those questions. Jesus' death was like no other death in the history of mankind. That day at the cross, the greatest exchange of all eternity took place. Galatians Chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. The sin of the world was imputed to Christ, and the punishment for that sin was laid upon him. Jesus endured the cross for six hours. For the last three of those hours, a supernatural darkness fell upon the earth. It reflected the darkness and pain Jesus was enduring at the far 
deeper level than just the physical pain of crucifixion. I'm not minimizing the physical pain, but we must not stop there. In the depths of his soul, Jesus bore my hell and your hell. The just for the unjust. The punishment for my sins were inflicted upon him. If I miss that point, if I do not discover the personal application toward my own eternal destiny, I can weep for a thousand years in sympathies for his pain and it will not benefit me. John wrote his gospel so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. John chapter 20, verse 31. So friends, what is your response? Have you embraced the finished work of Christ on that cross in a personal way? Have you acknowledged your need for what he did that day? Jesus' blood was shed for you on that cross. He invites you to come to him right now and receive his love. If you are listening to me this morning and you have not yet received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to to do that right now. Please follow me as I lead you in the following prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for what you have accomplished for me on the cross. Please forgive my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Help me to live for you the rest of my life. Amen. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful Sunday afternoon. Amen.